If you have come to hear a nice, clean, three-point sermon, you came to the wrong place today. So let's pray. Let's pray with me. Father, we thank you for the church and for faith, for faith that has been passed on to us through your church from one generation to the next. Lord, we thank you that what we receive from our fathers and mothers, we can pass on to our children. That we can make known and display the rich variety of God's wisdom to unseen powers and principalities. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard the Apostle Paul use those words, powers and principalities? He uses them in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, this is the role of the church. The role of the church is to make known and proclaim the manifold wisdom of God, the rich variety of the wisdom of God to powers and principalities. That's a kind of a strange statement, isn't it? When you think of those two words, oftentimes, depending on your uh, tradition, you could think of demons and spirits and unseen things. But if you do a, a study of those words, those words are actually pointing to prevailing mindsets within cultures. So Paul's not saying we are here describing the manifold wisdom of God to demons and spirits. He's saying we're describing the wisdom of the Lord to the prevailing mindsets that are affecting our culture. So that's, that's your role in this city. Your role is to bring the manifold wisdom of God to the place that you live. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? It's, it's who you're designed to be. It's your calling as a Christian. So is everyone, is everyone doing well today? You all doing good? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. So, um, man, I don't know. I, I, I really resonated with what John Mark was saying earlier about hard times. I feel like I've, I've had some pretty significant hard times in my life. Um, that, that's, that's pretty much a universal experience, isn't it? You guys, I mean, it's, it's the rare person who hasn't, uh, hasn't, experience some type of heartbreak, some type of uh, sorrow, some type of pain. And man, I don't know. I've, I feel like I have, I have done that enough times now where it doesn't quite take me out anymore like it used to. And the older I get, the farther I go on with Jesus, the more I'm discovering that this thing on the inside of me is much greater than the, the situation that I'm in. I mean, it's kind of mysterious. It's kind of mystical. I don't really quite understand it. But the Lord is building inside of me and inside of you this endurance that goes beyond what we're experiencing in our outside lives. Amen. So I just love uh, the Apostle Paul, man. He's my favorite. He, he's got that scripture somewhere. He says, uh, he says, we face many difficulties but for some reason, we are not destroyed. We are being renewed day by day. He says, outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed. Isn't that crazy? Outwardly, we are wasting away. I mean, I don't know. Those words just seem kind of despairing on some level, right? Here's the Apostle Paul. Hey, guys, I've got great news for you. Everything is getting worse on the outside, but inside, something better is going on. So, but that's great, you know. You know what's hard? You know what's hard? Parenting is hard. 
Parenting is really hard. Thankfully, most of my kids aren't in the room today, so they won't have to hear me confess this. But, um, you know, some people say marriage is hard. And, and I would say, you know, probably Amy and I can have a knockdown, drag out fight just as well as anybody. But at the end of the day, we have this like shared, uh, well, we, we want to get to a place of understanding eventually, right? I don't have that with my kids. They, they, they don't share that same, they don't, they're not motivated the same. Where I want to reach a mutual agreement, they don't want to go there with me. And so uh, I say all that to say uh, <clears throat> most of what I preach is preached through the filtering of being a parent of six children or, you know, so, so you know the revelation has to be good, right? All right, so let's begin. So uh, bear with me. I'm going to thread together a few concepts through scripture today. Um, a lot of scripture. If you have your Bible, you probably should just lay it aside because it won't do you any good. I mean, you could try to keep up with me, but otherwise you might just want to take notes. So, so I'm going to first talk about Matthew chapter 8. This is an incredible chapter in the Gospels. There's a heck of a lot of stuff going on. I don't know why the writer decided to put all of this stuff in one chapter, but here's, here's the rundown. It goes like this. All right, Jesus is really busy doing all kinds of cool stuff, and he starts by healing a leper. The leper comes to him and says, Jesus, if you're willing to heal me, please heal me. Jesus says, I am willing, be healed. Next thing Jesus does is he heals a Roman officer. You know that famous story where this Roman officer, a Gentile, has more faith than anybody else, any, any Israelite that Jesus has ever encountered. So there's, this, there's this, uh, this thing that happens where Jesus heals the Roman centurion's servant. Next thing that happens, Jesus goes to to Peter's mother-in-law's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And then the next scripture says that all of these sick people came to Jesus and Jesus healed them all. Jesus heals many demon-possessed people in the same chapter. And it says he heals all the sick. Okay, so it's just stacked with miracle, 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 sign and wonder, sign and wonder, sign and wonder. And the next thing that happens is that Jesus gets into a boat. And he gets into the boat and he falls asleep and they go across the water wherever it is that they're going and a storm rises up, all right? The storm comes and the disciples start freaking out and then Jesus says, what does he say? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that the disciples were afraid because there was something to be afraid of. Right? I mean, let, let's just be honest. I don't think that this story was told because they were a bunch of drama, dramatic people that were just overreacting to something, you know, not significant. It was a storm that would take uh, these 12 grown men who were, some of them were experienced fishermen and scare the living daylights out of them. They're reacting to their circumstance. They're reacting to the situation that they are in very reasonably. But Jesus is sound asleep. He's, he's sleeping so soundly that he is not woken by the wind and the storms that are coming over the crest of the boat, but he has to be shaken awake by his disciples. And he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Well, we know why the disciples were afraid. 
I'm pretty sure I could relate to those disciples. But Jesus must have known something the disciples did not know, right? He must have been looking at something else beyond the storm. He must have seen something invisible that gave him a great assurance. It wasn't that he didn't see the storm. He clearly did because at some point he speaks to the storm and tells it to calm down and it calms down. But he wasn't frantic before the calm came. He was calm and then the calm came. He wasn't frantic. He was calm and then the calm came. He saw the future calm and released it into the present. He saw the peace that was right around the corner and prayed it into the present. The disciples only saw their impending doom. I'm pretty sure that I would have been freaking out like the disciples. Anybody else there with me? Let's just be honest. All right. Okay. So fast forward backwards. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 5. It's a famous chapter. Sermon on the Mount chapter. Everybody should know this. Memorize it frontward and backwards. You should love this chapter because it's pretty much the cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. If you're looking for any type of distinctive of what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, look no further than Matthew chapter 5. Okay? So Jesus is saying a lot of things. He's sitting on a little hill. He's talking to his followers. And he says this one or well, a couple of really interesting things. He's, he's looking at people like us, normal, everyday people. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, that's interesting because at some other place in the scriptures, who, who else does he call the light of the world? He calls himself the light of the world. But in this passage, he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he goes on to say this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall the earth be seasoned? So if you think that Jesus is uninterested in the well-doing of the earth, you'd be wrong. Jesus is very interested in the earth doing well. Jesus is very interested in the earth, the world that you and I inhabit right now being seasoned with a whole lot of good stuff. He says this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Okay, so, but right before Jesus uses the salt and light metaphor to describe his disciples, he gives an explicit characterization of what it looks like to be salty and light. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm super salty. I'm super salty. And I'm so light. Salty and light. We're a bunch of saltines in here. Salty and light. All right, Jesus is saying this in chapter 5, going backwards from the salt and light scripture. Folks are blessed. Folks are blessed who are poor in spirit, who recognize they are spiritually helpless. If you feel spiritually helpless in here today, you are blessed. Whew, I could preach all day long on that, but I'm move on. 
Folks are blessed who mourn. You know who, do, you know who doesn't mourn? Ambivalent people. People that have kept themselves from feeling the world that they're walking in. He says, you're blessed when you mourn. Folks are blessed who are meek. That's controlled power. It means you have, you're a very powerful person, but you, you disregard that stuff for the expense of being gentle to the people around you. He said, folks are blessed who desire, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Folks are blessed who are merciful. Folks are blessed who are pure in heart. Folks are blessed who go places and make peace. Folks are blessed who are longing after righteousness. Do you think, is the water muddy there at all? It's not, is it? Jesus is very clear on what it looks like to be salt and light. He's telling his disciples there is a distinct way of living that is a blessing, not just to the one who is being merciful, but to the one who is receiving the mercy. Think about that for a second. Here Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're blessed. You're blessed when you behave like this. But it's not just that person, right? It's the person who's receiving the peace, who's receiving the meekness, who's receiving the gentleness wherever they go. The world becomes salty and light when the believers of God have faith to walk that out everywhere they go. So here I am, I'm talking about all this cool, good stuff that Jesus says to his disciples to do and to be like, but um, there are some obstacles to that, right? Right? You might have a fight with your uh, 15-year-old teenage daughter that uh, turns your household into looking anything like there's a whole lot of peace going on. You might have a situation at work where uh, a... Uh, an employee or a co-employee does something to make you look really bad in front of the whole office. You might be driving down the freeway and somebody cuts you off. You might get on Facebook and see Trump ads in your Facebook feed. (laughs) Or, you know, Bernie Sanders, let's be fair, you know. So there's a whole lot of opportunity for us to not live this out, isn't there? It's called life in general. It's called getting up, getting into the default message that the world around us, the powers and principalities are speaking to us to do, to say, to be. But Jesus comes to the the, the mount and says, hey, let me tell you, there's a way that's different than the world supposes. But I personally cannot act this way completely on my own. Now, I have some self-will, which enables me to make good choices. You should take responsibility for your own actions. Let's just be clear about that, okay? You're in charge of your life, all right? But we need help, right? That's why we go to church. We need help. We need to be mutually encouraged. I need to impart to you what I've got, and you need to impart to me what you've got. 
I need the help of my community to understand what God is saying. I need the scriptures to help me understand what God is saying. I need the Holy Spirit through other people and in speaking to me to understand and to help and encourage me to get to these places that God wants us to go as people, as the body of Christ. All right? So a good thing to remember is this. Maturity takes time. Growing up takes time, and you cannot negotiate time away from your process, all right? That's just the way it is, okay? And I'm telling you that because you need to have grace on yourself to grow. It takes time, and that's okay. Nothing that I'm saying is about, is about perfection. What I'm talking about is what's the goal and how do we get there, okay? I want to give you a starting point this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Man, I'll tell you this. God is faithful to bring us into his goodness. He really is. He's doing it, church. He is really doing it. Paul says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies in living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, he, so that's a simple place to start. You can get up every day and present your body to God. John Mark said it a couple times that your body is connected to your soul and your spirit and your heart and your mind and all of that type of stuff. You are not living a separate life than your body. God loves your body. Don't hate your body. God created it. He loves it. He honors it. So it's part of the package. So Paul's saying, here's the deal. Every morning you get up and this is your first act of worship. It's your first act of faith. You give yourself to God in the morning. It starts there. And do not be conformed to the world. Check this out. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me read this from the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how God's, uh, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, this is so interesting here because the, the, the tradition that I grew up in, worship was mainly defined as singing songs from a stage and then the congregation joins in with that. I love it. I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. I'm a songwriter. I, I love playing my guitar, singing worship songs. That is not primarily what the New Testament is saying that worship is. It's something else. It's getting up and presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God so that what? Your mind can change. You present your body to God so that your mind can change. But, I mean, it's practical, too. When you present your, your body to God, your mind changes, and then you no longer conform to the customs and ways of the world. And all of a sudden, you have the requisite faith to walk out the Sermon on the Mount that you need. You have the requisite faith to be salt and light. 
Because here's the thing. It takes faith not to copy the world's behavior. All right? It takes faith not to copy the customs of the world. It takes faith to be merciful. It takes faith to be meek. It takes faith to be pure in heart. It takes faith to be a peacemaker. Why does it take faith? Because as a follower of Jesus, as someone who has given their life to follow him, you can't let the judgments and customs and climate of the world direct your behavior. Here's the deal. It is unreasonable to be merciful. It is unreasonable to be gentle and humble. It is unreasonable to lay down your life for a friend, to serve your brother, and to love your enemy. Now, now guys, this is, this is, I love this example. When I, when I first kind of stumbled into this, it changed my whole life. But when I was raised in the church, I was raised that there was, that there was us and then there was them out there. And and in a way, that's true. I mean, the body of Christ is spoken of in the scriptures as being distinct from the world. But but the way I lived it or way it was explained to me is that it was an exclusive circle that cut everybody else out. And I was to actually judge all the people that were outside the circle as not being really worthwhile to get into the circle. Now, and those, those thoughts are subtle. They're subtle, but they're prevalent. They're prevalent. But let's just, let's take an extreme example. Let's say you're walking down the street somewhere and you come across a person who I, I don't know that they would be Muslim, but let's say they were in Middle Eastern garb. You have two ways that you can think about that situation at that time. You can assess using the customs of the world about who that person is and assign value to them based upon your prejudices that come from the world. Or you can have faith to see that person the way God sees them as loved, the beloved of God, the created of God, and see that as your primary thought first. That's what makes you distinct as a Christian as you see the best, not the worst first. So you have to see beyond the storm that exists and see with the eyes of faith in order to bring peace where there is violence, mercy where there is vengeance, gentleness where there is brutality, and mourning where there is ambivalence. It takes faith to be salt of the earth, to be light of the world. And here's the thing. I don't believe that Jesus in that boat on the storm he, he got up and said, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? I don't think that he was belittling them. I think he was shocked. 
because he knew something about them that they hadn't quite figured out yet. See, a lot of churches teach people that they're no good, that they're uh, uh, totally sinful on the inside, and that faith is difficult and hard. And that you are going to have to grasp after that thing your entire life. And if you just can, you know, get your way into heaven somehow, you know, but this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. He was shocked because they were wired for faith. They were created in the image of God to move in faith. Not by sight, not by the things that they could see with their eyes on the outer, not the, not the Muslim garb. And then I see that and all of a sudden I'm totally afraid. And then, no, we're, 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 we're wired to love people as the beloved and created of God. You know, one of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus is that it frees you from every single conspiracy theory ever created on the planet. You no longer have to live in the shadow of any doomsday conspiracy theory ever. Ever. I mean... Ever. I remember Y2K. The amount of fear that was perpetrated by the church because they didn't understand the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't understand that they were salt and light. So we were buying gold coins. We were building bunkers and AK-47s. I mean, of course, not everybody. That's, that's, but, but man, it's, it's funny what happens when that extreme is out there. It starts seeping in to the rest of us. And we start thinking, well, what if, what if the sky really does fall? Well, so what? What if it does? I mean, we're not afraid of dying anymore. We're not afraid of death. We don't walk around assessing life through the lens of the fear of death anymore. We have presented ourselves as living sacrifices to the Father. And we say, Jesus, renew our mind so that we can see the world around us the way you see it. And you created it and you saw it and you called it good. And all of the people that are of different religions and different politics and different sexualities or whatever. I mean, the world's a big, confusing place, and I do not pretend to understand it, and I don't have to. All I have to do is the Sermon on the Mount. As a Christian, that is my primary vocation. Everything else has to fall through that filter, not the other way around. So even though it might seem awkward and difficult, living by faith is not contrary to who we are. Amen? We must live by faith because there is actually no other way to live. Think about that. We have to live by faith faith, because there is no other way to live. If you call yourself a Christian, I mean. 
And I believe this. I believe that God is always calling the church of Jesus Christ to do the impossible. That's the calling that he has placed on us. That's the mantle. That's the thing that he has asked us to do is to do the impossible. You know, and the, and the, and the really disconcerting thing about it is this. Uh, Jesus is the most anointed speaker in the world. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. And look how it worked out for him. It was horrible. It was a downward trend, guys. It was a downward trend. And that's why nobody wants to sign up for this. (laughs) Because the Jesus model, the Jesus way, is not necessarily that your calling is to be a world-famous preacher. Your calling isn't necessarily that you're going to stand on a stage somewhere. It could mean that you're hidden for your entire life. Walking with Jesus, loving your neighbors, loving your wife, loving your kids, loving the people that, have, that the world has told you are your enemy. I don't want to listen to any voice that tries to tell me that somebody else is my enemy. I don't want to do that. I can't bear that burden anymore. It's too much. I want to, I want a light and easy burden. Some, somebody said to me one time, Andy, God has given you all permission to love everybody at all times. I was like, what? You're kidding me. I thought God loved some people and didn't love other people. I thought God had chosen some people and hadn't chosen other people. It's not true. God loves everybody all the time with a ferocious love. And the same thing that he's got working on him, I've got working on me. What's working on Jesus is working on me. What's working on Jesus is working on you. Man, this is so good. Oh, man. And here's the thing. Reasonable people will try to talk you out of this Jesus way. They will. They'll have every good reason. I, you, you seriously could come up with a list of like 12 reasons right now not to do anything that I'm talking about. And you would be completely in your right mind to do it. Right? But let's just be honest. We go to a building every Sunday and gather together and sing to a God we can't see. That's unreasonable. Don't be satisfied with that. That's not the extent of your Christianity. The only thing we're doing here is this is like party. This is our party, our weekly party. We just get together and just have a good time with each other, rub each other's backs, stuff like that. It's, it's your daily life that this is worked out in. I Man, I am so interested in bringing the love of God to this city. I just am. I just am. And we do that by seeing past all of the things that loudly speak that there is no way to bring salvation to these places. It is a Christian distinctive that we continually look for the invisible. It is a Christian distinctive that we continue, continually look for things that we can't see yet. 
Let me say it a different way. Christianity is the art and practice of looking at the invisible. Somebody might want to write that down. Christianity is the art and practice of looking at what you don't see yet. It's in the Bible, guys. I'm going to proof text you right now. The Bible says this about Moses. <clears throat> you know, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's that, it's that chapter full of faith, you know, where all the, all the people are, you know, like Abraham and David and all those people. There's this really funny scripture. It cracks me up. It says, by faith, Moses' parents saw that they had an unusual child. <laughs> oh, some of you can relate. <laughs> oh, I can. But listen to this, Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. This is who we are. We keep going because we are keeping our eyes on the one who is invisible. Amen. And because his invisible nature has been clearly described to us by Jesus and in Jesus, we now see who we are free to be. God has given us total permission to love everybody no matter what. No matter what their race, religion, politics, sexuality, or any other thing that prejudices and marginalizes people from each other. Hmm. So I'm going to close with this, guys. This is my, my favorite pa- passage in all of Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It goes like this. If you, want, if you want to open that up, you can. I'm going to start at verse 11. Because we understand our, fierce, our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Oh, that's, that's a, you could talk about that for a while. The difference between having a spectacular ministry and a sincere heart are, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but one is better than the other. Having a sincere heart is better than having a spectacular ministry, okay? But this is, this is where it gets good. If it seems that we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. 
At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God, this is it, this is it. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's incredible. I mean, in terms of uh, the atonements, in terms of the, the, the theology of the cross, okay, this is a topic that has been talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there are many different ways to look at the cross. And one of the ways to look at the cross is that Jesus was on the cross and the father was somewhere else far away, not able to look at Jesus because he became a sin offering for the world. But this clearly says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is a God who knows what it feels like to die on a cross, church. And he did it all so that we could take part of the ministry of not keeping the world out of the church, but bringing them in. And he gave us the way to do it. He gave us the faith to do it. He gave us everything that we need to be fully human. I'm not saying anything like you need to go out and witness to 10 people today, be a better Christian, quit sinning, quit watching MTV, stop listening to Ryan Adams, you know, all of those things that are just like nonsense. God is inviting us to discover who we really are and who we really are supposed to be in him. And he's invited us to take part with him in the task of reconciling the world to himself. Anybody want to be a part of that? Oh man, I know I do. Hmm. Let me finish out that scripture and we'll close. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God and through Christ. You know, on a practical level, this is so funny. God is so spiritual and he's entirely practical at the same time. I liked what John Mark was saying last week when he was saying that God wasn't just, um, he wasn't being ironic by coming like a little baby, coming like a gentle, uh, gentle man. Um, he, he didn't come with a conquering sword. God wasn't just doing that because he appreciates irony, although he does. He did it because he was showing us how to be. He was showing us how we could be. 
how we are designed to be. I believe it. I believe we are hardwired for this, guys. And I don't, I, I, believe me, I don't want to put any heavy burden on you with this this morning. This is really an invitation. And, and in my message today, I've used the word city like, oh, we're going to go, I don't know, take the city. I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, when you get up in the morning and you're taking care of your kids, when you get up in the morning and you're, you're, um, you're living life with your spouse or your roommates or your coworkers, I mean, all the things that we go through every day, those are important and they matter to Jesus. And he has given, he has given us such a good way to be. And I believe this, it's really satisfying too. I believe it's really satisfying. There's a satisfaction in knowing Jesus this way. There's a satisfaction in knowing yourself this way. There's a satisfaction in the world around you when you begin appropriating the Sermon on the Mount with the people around you in your everyday life. You know, I believe that there's this goodness that's going to come from that. It's not always going to manifest. I mean, you know, it's just sometimes people don't like when good things happen and they get mad for some reason. I don't really know why that is, but, you know, you and I both know that when you walk through this world, there's going to be people that are just, they need extra love. (laughs) They need extra love. So uh, are you good? Is everybody good this morning? Pastor John Mark, I think I'm done. Yeah, do it. No, do it. Do it. Man, I'm just kind of on fire after that message. And I have stuff to say, and I don't want to say it all, because that was all we need right there. But, you know, I was thinking um, a while back, I was getting really, really frustrated at um, my friends online. You know, I have very liberal friends and very conservative friends, and watching them argue about things online just makes me want to throw up. And I hate politics, just to be straight up with you. And the reason I hate politics is because politics by nature divide. The word politics comes from the word poles, like North Pole, South Pole. They mean to separate and to divide. And I know that Jesus said he came to divide. But at the end of his life, he also prayed that we would be one as he is one. And he prayed for unity. And so unity is incredibly important to Jesus. That was his last prayer before he died, was a prayer for unity. And so I don't like talking about politics because they divide. So let me just put it straight. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not telling you how to vote. I think you should be responsible and vote, and I think you should pray about who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for because this is not about politics. I was really frustrated about my friends arguing about the Syrian refugees online. It made me really sick. You know, I've got one group of friends who are saying, don't let them into the country because terrorists might come in and blow us up. And the other group is saying, well, if we don't let them in the country, they become a breeding ground for terrorists, and we create more terrorists. I'm like, Lord, I hate this. People are so angry at each other, and people are love each other and should be coming together angry at each other. It's like, Lord, what side are you on? Which, what's the right way? What side are you on? And I felt like the Lord said, no. And I thought about Joshua when he's praying at the battle of Jericho and he sees this angel come. He says, are you for us or our enemies? And the guy, he says, the angel of the Lord says, no. He's like, are you kidding me? No. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. No. I said, well, what, Lord, well, what's the answer? And I felt like the Lord said, well, forget for a second about 
what you're supposed to do with government. And I'm like, man, I'm not, and I'm not smart enough to know the answer for how our government should respond to this situation. So I'm not speaking to that. I don't have an opportunity to speak for that. There's not much about that I can do myself, but the Lord said, I am the church and we are the church. So how should the church respond to this situation? And the Lord asked me, what if a thousands of Muslim people who are being persecuted by other Muslims, what if they flooded into America and the church opened their arms to them? What would happen to those people? What would happen to those people? They're fleeing other Muslims who are persecuting and killing them. And they look at America, they look at the West and they see a church who's like, we love you. What would happen? The Lord asked me what would happen. I felt like the Lord asked me what would happen. I said, like, well, Maybe it would be the biggest revival that America's seen in like a hundred years. Maybe tens of thousands of Muslim people would get saved. I don't know. And Lord said, well, what would happen if some of the bad ones got in and they blew up a church? And it's like, well, if the church embraced them again after they blew up, it might be the biggest revival the Muslim world has ever seen. And I realized the Lord was challenging me. When you look at people, do you look with fear? Are you afraid that if they stay, they create more terrorists? Are you afraid that if they come, they bring terrorists to us? He's like, you don't really get to make the decision whether they come or whether they stay. But the decision you do get to make is how you respond. The decision you do get to make is the way you view the situation. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. No, there is a better way to see the world. There is a better way to see your life. And there is another way. You don't have to choose left or right. You can choose Jesus. And he may influence you to go one way or the other. But in the end, there is a better way. There is a third option. There is another way to live that is above the options that men and women are giving you. There is a third option. There is a Jesus way. And I want to live in that place. And I want to see the world through Jesus' eyes. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We do. We do want to see the world from your perspective. We want to see our lives from your perspective. We want to see people from your perspective. Teach us how to love our neighbor. Teach us how to love the strangers. Teach us how to love our enemies, Lord Jesus. Teach us how to bless those who curse us. Not because it's like some amazing level of Christianity, but because it's just so good to live that way. Teach us how to be living sacrifices. Teach us how to live differently with our bodies and our practical lives in a way that changes the way that we think, that renews our minds. And transforms us. In Jesus' name. Amen.